Are there any good-looking podcast listeners out there tonight? Soccer dude, rockin' America. He doesn't know soccer, but he's gonna talk about soccer dude, rockin' America. Tactical analysis. Transfer news. Unlikely. Hey, that's not what I wrote. I don't really care. We're going with it now. All right. Soccer news, rockin' America. Soccer news, rockin' America. Featuring person talking about soccer lots. Hello and welcome to episode 103 of Soccer Noob Rockin' America, featuring my kid, Person Noob. Hello! The only likely father-daughter podcast about soccer you're going to catch out here. Uh, we mini-preview every single week the 10 most intriguing, high-stakes matches that we can find out there. And that's as we define that. That's a lot different than most, if not all other shows. We're willing to go to any country in the world, big or small, for league games, to any major tournament, national teams or clubs. If it's important where it's being played, there's a good chance that we're going to have it right here. This week's matches are going to go from uh, Friday, September 30, through Thursday, uh, October 6. We're going to get silly. We're going to do a lot of learning. And a little bit later in my position as sole journal, international journal for the Isle of Sodor Premier League, new job I've got, I'll talk about how last Wednesday's Super Cup festivities went. Uh, plus, we'll do a very mini, if you will, mini preview of one of the matches uh, as the league season gets started. But for now, let's dive right in with... Match number one! Soccer so, so amazing, you won't believe it's real. That's a slogan that we're pushing for the Isle of Sodor uh, Premier League in FA. So, hello from me in person, from the capital city of Suttery. What do you think of Suttery so far? Very nice. Glad you're enjoying it. That, darn it, that's twice. Knock it off, the management. No Thomas the Train or Tank Engine theme songing here. We went over this last week. I insist on very little. Wait, why are you bopping your head along? Do you like that theme song, Person Noob? Yeah, I grew up on it. Hey, did you know that Tom's the Train used to be a professional soccer player before he turned into a train? Okay, uh, first of all, the trains don't talk and they're not real, so I know you're making that up. Now, there was uh, a player that I did her tale of. I saw a plaque uh, that uh, players would jump up and touch coming out of the uh, Suttery uh, football team's like a locker room and training area. And there's somebody named Thomas Trainmaster that used to have some kind of big role with the club. I didn't get a good look at it. Is that who you're talking about? Um, no. <laughs> uh, I'm talking. Oh, wait, no. That was another guy who was a soccer player and they turned into a train. No, that's not true either. Because look, Sodor's a real. We're, we're, we're here. We're in a real place. And the, the TV show is based on here. You're trying to confuse people, and they're not going to need the help with that. Yeah. We're going to confuse them plenty on their own. Look, the train look it's a real place, not merely a setting for creepy children's television show. <laughs> it's a small island country, west of England, friendly neighbor to all, Oof. except the Isle of Man. Oof. Yeah. You know what the Manx can do? People Oof. from there? Stow it. Oof. They can sit on it and spin as far as we're concerned. Oof. We don't like the Manx. Anyway, to review... 
new me. I just got my first official soccer job this year, even though I'm still carrying noob as a moniker. Can you believe it? And the yeah. well, of course you can believe it. you're right here with me. I'm the official international journalist for the Isle of Sodor Premier League and FA. Uh, now, but just so you know, and I won't get too deep in the weeds here, they are not attached uh, politically or soccer wise. Uh, to the UK or England. They're not like Jersey or anything like that, where this sort of, or, you know, Guernsey, where they're tied in some county system way into the soccer uh, system or pyramid over in England. It's a totally separate affair. Now, 2018-19, they had their first ever nationally organized league, it turns out. But then, of course, the pandemic hit, and now they're back. 20 teams strong, Double round robin format, uh, just like the Premier League in England. There's even a championship division. I don't think they have a full 20, though. Uh, with uh, promotion and relegation, there will be an FA Cup tournament. And I, or I'm sure you would like to say we, even though I'm the one that gets the paycheck person, yeah. right, are tasked with introducing it all to you. Yeah. By the way, and person, if you'd like to learn to do this, let me know. But until I know that for sure, hey, everybody, we're still hoping to find somebody to run a league website uh, for Isla Sodor, FA, and PL. It's not my forte. Uh, Soccer Noob USA on Twitter. Uh, that's how you can get in touch with us if you're interested. Uh, anyway, the league season hasn't started yet. Wednesday was the Super Cup. Now, in most countries, that's a, basically a glorified exhibition to kick off the season between the previous year's league champion and FA Cup winners. Now, we were told it was going to be different, but did they tell us how it was going to be different? No. No, they decided to surprise us. And were we surprised? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and not always in some pretty weird ways. Okay, so uh, Dry FC, your lead champs, and Brendan Harbour, your uh, reigning FA Cup champs, their players, uh, they did some scrimmaging on one end of the field. They moved the nets to to kind of play each other on the short way, and then they only played five aside. Uh, people were picnicking right up to the end lines. We had a pretty nice, uh, we had a pretty nice club sandwich over there, didn't we? Yeah. From one of the booths. Yeah. Got good. to sit right there and watch. I was really impressed when you decided to jump in and play instead of with the kids stuff for the five aside. The players are pretty relaxed about it, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. They don't really care. There were players coming in and out. Nobody was really keeping score. Um. So fans just hang out, come on, play with them. It's all very low key. Uh, now the other main part of what was going on though that was real and it was really fun was the skills competition. Uh, the main feature of that was the target practice. Now, person who I don't even know if you've ever seen this before, but normally you know imagine a big soccer goal and then attached or hanging from uh, different parts, either up from the ground or attached from the sides or sticking up from the crossbar, sticking down from the crossbar are uh, red and white bullseye target circles. And players kick at those targets, kind of like a dunking booth, except there's no dunking booth here. And they try to hit or break those targets for points. That's what they had going on here. But what were they using instead of targets? Pies! Yeah, what kinds of pies? All the pies. Cream pies. Raspberry pies. Raspberry is a very big deal here. Raspberry vermouth, which the kids kids are not allowed to have. Uh, Yeah, raspberry pie. Fruit in general, but raspberry is a very, very big thing here for some reason. So what what were you and the kids doing? Um, We were laying down um, under and around the goal. And actually, this did success. I'm sorry, it was a success. 
Yeah, so what were you guys doing when you were laying in under the goal? You were opening our mouths and eating the pies. <laughs> yeah, they just lay on their back there with their mouths open as if they're half asleep, just waiting for pie to fall in. I got 27 pieces of pie on my face. Uh, you got it all over your clothes and everything else, I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah. No one kept score for the ki- for this competition either, did they? People could just come up and try to kick the pies. Uh, so the only really winners were uh, you kids, yeah. I would say. Uh, who lost? Uh, the parents, because they had to do the laundry. <laughs> yeah, that's right. La- yeah, they. Uh, I don't know how they get raspberry out. I'll have to figure out their secret. But mm-hmm. then they cleared out the field and things got serious. Now, had you ever seen lawn darts before? Uh, no. No. For those who aren't familiar, I came up in a generation where you could play lawn darts here in the U.S. They became illegal for being really, really dangerous. Basically, uh, you know, a, a, a small but substantial weighted uh, spears with plastic flights attached all around them. And you would uh, sort of like horseshoes, but you were throwing darts to stick in the ground. Or unfortunately, was as we learned, they, they stick in. Other than the ground, you try to get them in a circle or near a circle, and you score points this way. And it is the reason that while there is men's organized soccer now in Sodor, there will probably never be substantial women's football in Sodor because they take their lawn darts seriously. It is probably more the national sport even than soccer, wasn't it? Yeah. So, um, so these gal, everything got really, really quiet. And then all of a sudden, as the first players come out, the crowd just went wild. All these nice, genteel people. It it was just like they turned into rabid animals. It was crazy. Uh, Gals came out of the locker rooms with their, just with these looks on their faces, like they were ready for a war. Uh, Even though they were wearing like their regular clothes, it was uh, quite the juxtaposition. And these women who I'm sure would loan each other sugar any other day of the week uh, from the different teams, they wouldn't look at each other. They were getting stare downs. Uh, Suttery, where we are, again, the capital, they put together a local all-star team. Uh, some of these uh, players who are normally rivals, they even got into some fights, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, wrestling matches and some shoving. But order got restored eventually, and they were able to play. They were taking on a team that was kind of a hodgepodge, basically, of players' wives uh, from uh, Brendam Harbor and Dryah FC. So everyone pairs off into uh, groups of four, Darts are getting flung. The scoreboard is tracking all the matches. It's 10 times more serious than anything related to the football was. Overall scores getting tracked. It doesn't seem to matter at all that these teams just got constructed and only for today. Tons of trash talk. We had to tell you to do earmuffs several times, didn't we? Yeah. We learned a lot of Sudric uh, curse words. At least I did. Yeah. A lot of stuff you can't call people in, in regular everyday life, but it's stuff that wouldn't mean anything to anybody here. We're only just learning it. Um, now this was the worst part of it all. Uh, we saw someone at one point getting treated, uh, on the side of the field at an ambulance for a bad puncture wound from a dart. Uh, we weren't a hundred percent sure how that happened until we saw it again. Didn't we person who yeah. somebody had to explain what was going on to us. How could this happen twice? I mean, this is the reason these things are illegal in the United States and basically everywhere else in the world. Well, what we learned is that these plastic circles on the ground, the gals, were they standing really far away? No, they stand just a couple of steps away. And if somebody overthrows a dart, turns out it's considered a uh, a badge of uh, honor, bravery, courage to stand there and take the darn dart right in the foot. 
That's crazy. I've never seen anything like this. I wouldn't do that for nothing. No, I I mean, we saw the the bloody after effects of this. It was terrible. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, it even plays into the game. Now, a dart that gets overthrown by a couple of feet like that probably won't score. But if it's stuck properly in the gal's foot and she can hobble away, wherever she ends up and the dart falls out, that's where it can get scored from. And basically, that means the dart's not going to get scored. It is a horrible way to play some pretty meaningless defense. I wish I had been warned. I don't know about you, but I found it to be, uh, quite frankly, bloody and awful. It'd probably be like going to my first bullfighting match, which I've never been to. I was not expecting it. Now, now uh, for the record, they, the gals do back up if the dart is overthrown by enough that it looks like it's going to hit them in anything other than their feet. But we saw a gal take a nasty shot right where? Right in the Ankle. Yeah, split that bone. It was bloody. She was howling. Pete, we decided we were done for the night. We went back to our bed and breakfast, didn't we? Yeah, we went. We got out of there. Yeah. Now we've got some family lineage here in uh, Sodor, and that's you know how I came to know about the job. But we're new to a lot of parts of the culture that apparently they keep somewhat quiet for the rest of the world. So surprise! And we sure wish that we had been prepared for this, didn't we? Yeah. But we had a good. We were set up well in our bed and breakfast there in, in you know, you know there in Suttery, and and we had a nice quiet night. Their beds were very comfortable. Yeah, and yeah, you slept while I was trying to get the raspberry stains out of your clothes. <laughs> yeah, you laugh, make you go naked next time. Now, all the league football teams are going to play their first league match on Sunday. Uh, P. Noob and I, we will be traveling to Brendam Harbor. Get in some beach time, won't oh, we? Yeah. Yeah, no raspberry stains on the beach where please for the love of all that is holy. Uh, and that actually is where they will be playing host to Dry Out FC, the two teams we thought were gonna play for real today. Uh, they will be playing for real for their match day one. Now, it's hard to do a preview for these teams because they haven't played in a few years because of the pandemic, right? But here's what we know. Dryall won the league in 2018-19. Uh, they were surprised Titleist because uh, this is a pretty uh, – we passed through it on the train. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty small area, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of pastoral, artsy, lots of people painting in meadows. A lot of artists, come, foreign artists come here to, uh, to rest, uh, get rejuvenated, uh, do some of their work sometimes. It's that kind of area. And yet there they were, uh, league champs. They won by the league by three – over Peel Godred and Knapford Town. We haven't been to either of those yet. Peel Godred is way up in the north. We'll probably only take one trip there, to be honest, Pinu. Mm-hmm. Now, Brendan Harbor, despite winning the FA Cup, they had a bad regular season. Where did they finish in the table? 15. Yeah. Only three spots above the relegation zone. They were right between uh, Castle Rolf and Farquhar. Uh, turns out they didn't relegate any of the teams, by the way. Just, like a lot of European countries, they decided not to because of COVID. So, uh, as the season goes on, we'll have plenty more of info for you with uh, team and player profiles and uh, person Nuba's experiences as she learns about Sodor and and soccer and, and all things life. What do you want to learn most about? Trains. <laughs> and the pretty flowers. Yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of meadows here. It's a very pastoral island. You're right. So, and uh, we'll be doing a lot of coverage of the league, obviously, the FA Cup, and the history of the game on Sodor pre-FA. So we look forward again to giving you guys some coverage next week. You want to say goodbye from Suttery? Goodbye from Suttery. March number one! 
No Friday matches were quite bright and shiny enough to start off the show with, so we start on Saturday as we will move forward chronologically as always. Saturday match number one, we head to South America for the final, the championship game of something called the Copa Sudamericana. It's going to be played in Cordoba, Argentina, and you can catch it on the English or Spanish uh, language channel versions at 4 p.m. Eastern Time in the U.S. of the network called Be In Sports. Now, before I give you a lot of specifics on the match, we're going to introduce a new segment. As the World Cup approaches, we know that with Noob in our uh, podcast name, that a lot more people might be finding us looking to learn a little bit about the world game. So here with a new segment is my daughter. Take it away. It's a new segment we like to call Teachable Moments with Personnel. Okay, so... Copa Sudamericana means South American Cup. What that tells us so far is that it's a tournament for teams from all over South America. But which teams? Last year, all the teams that won or did super well in their country's leagues earned berths in the Copa Libertadores. If you know European football, this is the same thing as a Continental Champion League. This tournament is not that. The next best couple teams down the table, which means standings, from each of those same leagues got invited to the Copa Sudamericana. <clears throat> so it's the secondary international club tournament in South America, and it's high stakes. Imagine if the winner of college basketball's NIT tournament automatically got to go to the NCAA tournament next year, no matter how they did in their league. That happens here. The winner will get to play in the next year's Copa Libertadores. That's it. No Quizlet or anything, New Bites. Good work. Turn it back over to my teaching assistant, Soccer Noob. <laughs> uh, teaching assistant. Okay, I'll take that. That's fine. Good work, daughter dearest. I appreciate it. And now into the game proper. Who are our combatants? Sao Paulo is the home team on paper. Remember that this is being held in that neutral site in Cordoba, Argentina. And Independiente de Valle, one of the powerhouses out of Ecuador. Sao Paulo, we'll talk about them first as the nominal hosts. They've got a lot of history on their side. This is an incredibly good team. They won something called the FIFA Club World Cup, basically the world championship, if you will, for clubs in 2005. Three different times they have won the Copa Libertadores, the big South American club tournament that person you mentioned last time was also in 2005. This particular event they won in 2012. So what all this adds up to is it's an excellent team. They're ranked number 13 in all of Conmobile. And the reason that they're in this secondary tournament instead of being in the Copa Libertadores is because Brazil is far and away the toughest uh, country for football, sorry, Argentina, in South America. They qualified for this tournament by finishing in 13th place last year out of the 20 teams in Brazil's top league called the Serie A. Uh, interestingly, so I said 20 teams, number 16, uh, Juventude, was the only team that didn't go to one of the two big international competitions or get relegated. They were the only ones that got to go home and Netflix and chill. Kind of fun. Only league in the world like that, I'm pretty sure. Here in this event, they advanced to the final over fellow Brazilians Atletico uh, Goianiense in the semifinal. 
It was 3-3 at the end of the 90-plus minutes, and then it went to penalty kicks, which they won 4-2. Tied for number three in event scoring, uh, having found the back of the net five times, is the singularly named forward Luciano. Uh, Unless you're a South American football fan, his name's probably not familiar to you. I believe the only European experience he has was uh, just a cup of coffee with a a pretty good uh, Greek club back in 2018 called... uh, Panathinaikos. So if you follow this league, this is a little bit of a whatever happened to moment. Maybe we'll turn that into a segment someday. Now, I feel like the best gauge for how a team is doing and what we can learn about them is how they are doing currently in league. Well, here in the 2022 Serie A in Brazil, they are tied with three other teams for uh, ninth through 12th place. Uh, In fact, they could miss international play entirely. 13th place uh, is not a guarantee this particular year. Uh, They're actually a a decently uh, balanced team. Uh, they've got a top five offense in the league, scoring just under one and a half goals per match. I uh, didn't make a note about how good the defense is. I believe it's a little bit weaker, but the main metric to look at is they've got the number five overall goal differential in the league. They're probably going to qualify for the Copa Libertadores next year. Whether they win this match, which they'll still very much want to, or not. Uh, the reason that they're not even higher in the table, to be perfectly honest, is they haven't been able to get quite over the hump in a lot of games. They are tied for having the most draws. Uh, they have earned ties in 13 of the 28 matches that they've played so far. Key players to look for. Uh, the best player on the team, in my opinion, and the number four scorer in the league with a dozen goals is Jonathan uh, Caleri, Argentinian striker. Uh, interesting case for him until earlier this year, a not really that big club called Maldonado. They've had the rights to him for six years, but they've always loaned him out. Now, usually if you loan out a player, that means he's going to some smaller club to get playing time. In this case, apparently Maldonado is looking to just get paid because they've been sending him clubs like, uh, Alaves and Las Palmas, which are in uh, the top two divisions over in Spain and West Ham over in the premier league in England. So a little insight into how, you know, loan stuff can possibly work. And then on the assist leaderboard, they've got a veteran uh, left back leader uh, named Reynaldo, not to be confused with Reynaldo. This is R-E-I-N, uh, the uh, more purely Portuguese spelling. Team's current form, they are 2-1-1 one, one across all competitions in their last four with a very nice 7-2 goal differential. And now probably just by virtue of the club that they're uh, club, the country, I mean, that they're playing in, Independent, uh, Independiente de Valle. Uh, 2016, they made the Copa Libertadores final. I did not realize Ecuador produced a team that was that strong until I started doing the research for this particular one. And in fact, they won this event in 2019, so some very recent success. Uh, They won the 2021 Serie A, that's the best league in Ecuador, and that was their first ever title. And uh, on the backs of that title, they are now the 21st ranked club in all of CONMEBOL, which is the South American Association. Now, how did they do there? Well, based on seeding, they should have finished in second place, but instead they finished in third, and that meant instead of going home entirely, they got to drop down to a waiting spot for them in this tournament. And by the way, I did a little checking that league, uh, the Serie A in Ecuador, it is probably the fourth best one in South America. I use a site called Kick Algorithms for that. In any case, they advanced to the final over a club called Melgar, 
in Peru, and they whomped them. Six-nothing on aggregate. They actually, at the semifinal level, they play home and away uh, two-legged ties, and they beat them pretty badly in both of them. Now, uh, IDV here, they have not yet faced a Brazilian team, so this is going to be a serious step up in competition for them. On the event scoring leaderboard for them with four goals is Lautaro Diaz from Argentina. Uh, 2022 Serie A, how are they doing? Well, they're in third place late in the second stage of the season. They divide into opening and closing stages in a lot of the South American countries. Just two teams, I believe, are going to get to go to the Copa Libertadores out of this particular league. So there is even more of an impetus for Independiente de Valle to win this. This could be their only avenue into getting into the Copa Libertadores this year. How are they doing in league play? They're balanced, but not as strong as you would like them to be. Uh, They're tied for just uh, six best in offense, only scoring one and a quarter goals per match. This is more of a defensive-oriented league. They only give up one goal per per match, and yet that only ranks them as having a top-five defense in Ecuador. Overall, they've got the fifth-best goal differential. What offense they will get will likely come at the feet of team-leading scorer. He's got five on the league season. Junior Samoza. He plays center forward, which usually means he's right behind a striker. And I love it when guys of this stature are doing well on offense because I'm not particularly tall myself. He's only five foot five. Uh, by the way, yes, Liga MX fans, this is the guy you're thinking of. He was with Tijuana last year on loan from here. Team's current form, they are 3-1-0 in their last four with a very nice 8-2 goal differential across all competitions. Match number B. Number B, did you say, person new? Would you care to explain for our newer listeners? This won't be an official teachable moment, but maybe you could let the newest folks in. Number two is bathroom talk. Yuck. It means if you take the biggest, stinkiest, Fart in history, or you take a big dump in the toilet. That's what number two means. <laughs> yes, it means, it needs to have a movement. <laughs> Perhaps more it polite and poop. A massive toot, a massive poop. Yeah, you know, big boy poop. Yes, you know, the whole point of replacing number two with number B was because it's more couth. But I guess now that you uh, you're ten years old and in fifth grade, that humor is a little bit more in your wheelhouse. So we sort of went back the other way with it, didn't we? Yep. Yep. (laughs) All right. Anyway, we are headed to Australia for match number B. And, oh, quick question, Australia. So it's also in the Southern Hemisphere where it is said that the water drains backwards the way it swirls down. Does that mean everything is backwards down there? No. Should we say number two instead of number B if we're talking about countries in the Southern Hemisphere? Nar. Nar? And I'm I'm saying Nar in public now because it's in Australia. (laughs) <laughs> okay, NAR means no. So apparently we're still going to stick with number B as the Kuth and Ply way to go. Thank goodness. Wow, that was unscripted and perhaps delightful. Mostly unexpected. Match number B from Australia. Uh, this is the final, the championship match of a tournament called the Australia Cup. Now, if you're not familiar with it, footy fans, don't worry. This is the first year it's gone by this name. Previously, it has gone by the FFA Cup. In most countries, it is simply called their FA Cup, and virtually all countries seem to have one. While their league or leagues are going on, FA Cups are usually also taking place. That is a bracketed knockout tournament rather than a league, and it nearly always involves teams from not just the top league, but from the lower divisions. And one of the really fun things is to try to find uh, tournaments where teams from lower divisions have made a deep run. Well, 
we have a team that has made the deepest run of all in this particular tournament. And by the way, for the first time ever, person noob, the winners of this tournament will get an international berth. They will go to something called the AFC Cup, which is more or less the equivalent of what you just explained in your teachable moment, the Copa Sudamericana. So the AFC, Asia, they do have a Champions League. The winner of this event will at least qualify for that secondary tournament. And by the way, if the spirit moves you, you can get up and watch this on ESPN Plus, 545 in the morning. It is the other side of the world after all. Say hello to Division Two side. This is one of the top state league teams' representatives, Sydney United 58. They are the home team on paper. They will be playing host to relatively uh, young in their existence, but nevertheless an A-league club, which is a top flight in Australia, MacArthur FC. Both teams are from the greater Sydney area. This is going to be played in that area, but I don't think that Combank Stadium is the home stadium for either of these two teams. I know it's not for Sydney United 58. Let's talk about them first. Uh, They are a team that is from the state of, uh, well, they're from the Sydney area, so New South Wales, and they play in the big state league there. All the state leagues in Australia put together are called National Premier Leagues. So they played out of the National Premier League in New South Wales. They are from the, uh, let's not even call it a suburb. It's way out there, 25 miles away, west of central Sydney. This is an exurb, Edensore Park, mostly residential area, 3,500 people. A little fun uh, geography sort of note. Over half the people in that town are not Australian born. You have a lot of, of immigrants there. And normally when I think immigrants in Australia, I tend to first and foremost think Croatia. There are strong ties. But in this case, the people from all over the world, there's a heavy representation. 13% are from the country of Iraq. Neither here nor there, just sort of interesting. Now, at the end of every year, uh, all the state leagues, they have a tournament, uh, the National Premier League. And this team, said United 58, won that tournament in 2013 and 2016. So they're used to some success. Now, because they don't play in the A-League, they did not get to enter at the beginning of uh, what they'll call the competition proper down there. They had to play the qualifying rounds. They entered at the fourth of seven rounds of qualification. So they had to win a bunch of other matches before they even got to where the A-League teams were entering in. And yet they've beaten two A-League teams on their way to this final. They beat a team called Brisbane Roar uh, three to two and a- added extra time in the semifinal. Two rounds before that, they also beat Western United. That was the round of 16. Now, a uh, player I want you to look out for if you get up early enough to watch this. On the event scoring leaderboard, their only guy with uh, multiple goals is Patrick Antelme. Uh, he spent his youth with a number of uh, teams over in England, uh, Portsmouth, Leeds United, uh, Wolverhampton, and uh, finally, uh, Wigan Athletic. Uh, I don't think he ever made any senior appearances for any of those teams, ultimately. He has played in the A-League before, made one appearance with Western United, so he got a little revenge on them in the round of 16. Now, how have they been doing in league? Well, the New South Wales uh, National Premier League League, the top state league there, just finished recently. They only finished in eighth place, oddly enough. They've been saving all their energies for this FA Cup run, it seems. In fact, just to give a little perspective, one of the big A-League teams, Sydney FC, has a youth team in this league, and that youth team did better than Sydney United 58. Uh, How did they do in league? Uh, Well, they only had the 10th best offense out of 12 teams in the league, almost one and a half per game, so it's a reasonably high-scoring league. And they were... uh, tied for number seven on defense, giving up almost two goals per match. So that doesn't 
bode real well, but you would have been able to say the same thing about any of the matches that they played in. And now we'll talk about MacArthur. They are known as the Bulls. This is a club that was founded in just 2017. Uh, they uh, knew that in 2018, the A-League was set to expand. There were a couple of teams from this area that were looking to expand, that, that area being Southwest Sydney, by the way. So there were two clubs, United for MacArthur and Southwest Sydney FC, and they decided to merge and join forces to increase their chance of getting a bid. And so they did. They play in Campbelltown in the Southwest Sydney region, which is actually even further away from downtown Sydney, uh, well over 30 miles away. And yet it is a bigger area, a city of about 175,000. They advanced to the final by beating another Division II team out of the state of Victoria 2-0. That was Oakley Cannons. And in fact, fun side note about them, uh, MacArthur haven't had to face an A-League team yet, so they could actually win this trophy in an international berth without facing a single top-flight team. That's really unusual. Tied for number one in event scoring with four goals, their star is Al-Hassan Toure. He is from the African country of Guinea and plays forward. Uh, 2019, he played for the Australian under-23 national team. So this is a guy with some ability. Uh, now, the last A-League, the new one hasn't started, uh, they finished in seventh place. Uh, they had just tied for the sixth-best offense, almost one and a half per match. The defense was really letting them down. They were giving up pretty close to two goals per match, and they had one of the worst goal differentials in the league. So for different reasons, both of these teams are really surprises to have made the final. Good luck to both. Match number three. We remain on Saturday and will for a while. I'll let you know when we can flip days on the calendar. This time we head from Australia for a long flight back to the head of the old empire, jolly old England, where they are jolly because they're in the midst of their FA Cup, for amongst other reasons. But they're nowhere near the championship match like they were in Australia. There they're just in what's called the third qualifying round. I phrase it that way because really it's the fifth qualifying round. They have two that come before the quote-unquote first. The English FA Cup, what makes this so fun, this is for our newer listeners, is they dip all the way down to the 10th level of the pyramid for teams to participate in this full-on amateur sides for a couple, three levels. So one of the great joys of watching or following this event is watching for minnows, smaller teams, semi-professional amateur that might or do make deep runs into this tournament. Who knows? Maybe even one of them could reach the group stage. Now, uh, with most every successive round, teams from higher and higher up the pyramid that are better and better in quality enter into the fray. This time, that is not the case. Here at the third qualifying round, uh, they're just about winning, winnowing out some teams. No new lead teams enter at this round. Now, we've been following teams since the very beginning, and early on, we adopted the uh, just a team name that person knew liked called Uckfield United, but they were playing Midhurst and Eastbourne all the way back in that extra preliminary round, and uh, so we followed Midhurst and Eastbourne, the team that beat Uckfield United, for quite a while until they lost in the first qualifying round. Good times. Now we have adopted a different team, and she has picked one that she likes the name of from the ninth level called Ashington. And this is not the first week we followed them, but we're still going to do a little mini preview on them, but even more importantly, on their opponents. Get to know some of these lower-level sides that maybe not many other podcasts are talking about. Now, so, Stocksbridge Park Steels. Uh, they play out of the county of South Yorkshire, which is in central, north central England. It's a town of over 15,000. 
completely picturesque area. It's mainly in the deep-sided valley of the River Don. Now, if you've followed football to some degree, maybe on and off over the years or getting back into it, if this name sort of tickles something in the back of your mind, that's because some very famous players have played in this very tiny little town. Uh, Chris Waddle, Jamie Vardy, that are or who have been national team players for England, and Scott Hogan for Ireland. They have all been here at some point in their careers. And it is a tiny place indeed. In fact, their uh, stadium, quote-unquote, Bracken Moor, only seats 450 people, although they do have a total capacity with standing room. of uh, They could add on just a little more than 3,000 more to that if need be. Hopefully it'll need be for you know this FA Cup because they're making quite a little run. They are from the uh, eighth level, by the way, in case I failed to mention it, whereas Ashington is from the ninth level. Now, the league that Stocksbridge Park Steels play in is called the Northern Premier League, and they have multiple levels within that league. The Premier Division is level seven, and then there are three more regionalized divisions that are all equal below that, and that is where we find the Steels. They happen to play in the East Division. Uh, Stocksport once finished in fourth place in the top division in this, and that is the best they have ever done. Uh, they entered this event at the extra preliminary round, so all the way back at the very beginning. And most of the level nine teams got to enter one round sooner, but the ones that were ranked basically in the bottom 100 had to start at the very beginning. So that just makes it all the more special that this team has made it this far. They advanced to this round over level seven Marine last round. And that's the second level seven team that they've beaten. So again, they're having quite a little run. Uh, they're not having such a great start to their league season, though. They're currently in 16th place out of 20 teams. Although admittedly, they're only six matches into the season. And the clubs have played a very disparate number of games. Some have played as few as four, some as many of nine. But I will say that their offense has been a bit lacking. They've only scored six goals in those same six matches. And this is tied for the best that they've ever done. No, I'm sorry. This is the best. They reached the event fourth qualifying round once in 2003. So if they manage to win this day, that will tie them. Make sure I get that right for the best that they have ever done. But now our adoptees, Ashington, the Colliers, which is a coal reference. This is cold country. That is County Northumberland in the northeast part of the country. It's only about 15 miles north of Newcastle on Tyne. And yes, that Newcastle where the Premier League team of the same name is. This town is a fair bit larger, but still not you know, big by most standards, about 30,000. It was once considered to be England's largest coal village. And in fact, there's a debate whether or not it is or should be considered a town or village today. If it's a village, it's one of the largest or the very largest in England. Ashington also, being a ninth level team, of course, had to enter at the extra preliminary round. They are one of seven level nine teams that are still alive. So we've got quite a few little minnows swimming around here in the third qualifying round waters. Uh, they are one of three teams from the last round that beat a team from two or more levels up. And that is what they mean by the term giant killer. The team that they beat that we uh, many previewed two weeks ago was Bradford Park Avenue, a level six side. This is the furthest they've ever been since 1926-27. So it hasn't been a century, but the fact that we're even having to take a look at that fact, that really means something. This has been a lot, you know, talk about a once in a lifetime run. This is a once in a in two or three lifetime run for them, it would seem. Uh, 
They play in a league called the Northern Football League Division One, and they have been in this league all the way back since 1970. They're currently in fourth place, and they have four matches in hand on the teams ahead of them. They're undefeated. Uh, I won't say they're clearly the class of the league looking at the stats early on, but it seems fairly clear early on that they are one of the two best teams. In terms of average number of goals per game, they're getting three, and that ties them for the best in the league. They're only allowing about a goal every other match on average, and they've got the second bust goal differential. So while we want to be good sports and say good luck to both, because we keep getting to know them, particularly good luck to Ashington. Match number four. There are two monster derbies going on in the best league in the world, England's Premier League. Uh, One is the Manchester Derby, where Manchester City and United are ranked number B and number five in the table, respectively. This is one of the most intriguing matches in the world, but we won't be covering it. We only do one match from any one particular league per show, and that way we can spread our love around And in fact, we won't be saying a whole lot in a way about this other big derby either. And this year, it is even the bigger one. It is the North London derby where the teams are only a few miles apart. Number one in the table, Arsenal. Yes, that's our team. One of our teams anyway. And they are taking on and playing host to number three, the dreaded Tottenham Hotspur. Arsenal, blessedly, lead by four, and you can catch this on USA, the Cable Network channel, at 7.30 in the morning Eastern time on Saturday. Now, we loathe Tottenham. That is pretty much a given if you're a longtime listener of the show. We have always been confused why on earth anyone would choose to name a club after a twice-named historical traitor, by which we mean Harry the Hotspur Percy, a guy who betrayed not one but two different kings. Uh, In homage of these heavy feelings that we carry, we are going to uh, go back in our own mini Wayback Machine, if you will, to catch a prediction in a former vision from our 3,500-year-old in-house prognosticator, Noob Stradamus. Uh, Let's ponder back to the time he got high on episode 66, you know, like he doesn't smoke Lotus Leaf, most every appearance that he's on. Uh, Listen and learn. Take it away, please, once again in the past, Almighty Soothsayer. Greetings from the merciless Thracian plains of Greece. One can almost hear the universal infinite in the cutting winds, speaking wisdom and doom. But one can't, I can. Aided by the lotus leaf and prescription pills of unknown date of manufacture, I travel through space and time. It is not North London where I wake, but rather just north of Shrewsbury, in the far west of England. And a mighty battle rages before us, us being me and the Prince of Wales, Henry V, our foe, the dreaded Hotspur, Harry Percy. What a despicable, cretinous lout. This marks the second time he's betrayed a king. Hard to believe fools would later name a club after such. I'd pox them all, but they'd suffer their own fate. 
having to root for such a bunch of ingrate losers. The battle goes well. Our Cheshire archers took a chunk out of them at the outset, casting them down like autumn leaves. The Hotspur's end must be this day. I spur my horse, Bob the Simple, into the fray and found the traitorous beast, his death in mine eye. I pointed my holy staff at him and... Now, you may believe the history that Percy died from an arrow to the face. Or even Shakespeare, who wrote the prince defeated him in hand-to-hand combat. But it was I who meted out his deathly justice. And no, I didn't poetically turn him into a shrew. Shrewsbury means fort near bushes from Older English. Nothing to do with the animal. I just cracked his skull open with my big sticky. And now I awake, satisfied. Noob, my vision means Tottenham will lose nil to ten. I have seen. I have spoken. Match number five. Just as rich and rewarding as it was the first time all those months ago, Thank you very much, Noob Stradamus. And now we're going to hop another flight, take another long one to the Eurasian country of Turkey, where the top flight is called the Super League. It is the 19th ranked league in UEFA. They get nearly the absolute minimum for being ranked that far down into the coefficients. Not that there's anything wrong with top 20 for international berths. Uh, Their champion will get to go to the Champions League next year. They'll have to start all the way back in the first qualifying round. Their other two teams will play in the tertiary international club tournament, the Europa Conference League, but they will get started in the second qualifying round. You can catch this sweet matchup at 1 o'clock Eastern time here in the U.S. if you get be in sports, and uh, that's in either the English or the Spanish language channel. Your matchup, number one, Adana Demir Sport, taking on number B, Galatasaray, which I hope I'm getting my emphases on the right syllables there. I kind of doubt it, but who knows. In any case, uh, Adana, they currently lead by just three on goal differential. Yes, we have a rule here. If two teams are tied in the table, it almost doesn't matter how early in the season it is. If they're tied on points, we are going to cover their match. And I think all of our, or nearly all of our one versus number B matchups That's the case this particular week. So three on goal differential is all that separates them. The two of them collectively lead three different teams by just two points. It's early in the European season, after all. The series between these two, it's been a pretty brief one for reasons that will become clear soon. Galatasaray have uh, accrued a 3-0-1 record the last few times they've met. But we will be talking about the host first, a team with which I was completely unfamiliar, Adana Demirspor. They are known as the Blue Lightnings. Yes, throw an S on for the translation just for fun. Now, Adana is the name of the town. Demirspor, which sounds like sport for a reason. Demirspor are a series of clubs that are all over the country that were started by railway workers many, many decades ago. Adana is on the northeast corner of the Mediterranean, which means it's in the very uh, southeast part of this country, and uh, it's got about two and a quarter million people in its greater metro area. The region is called the Sicilia region, and it's got about 10 million people, and it is one of the most uh, important areas dating back to certain parts of antiquity. 
and they've had the same name for over 4,000 years. So I'm extra embarrassed that I had not heard of it before. This is a, even though it's a big, big city, the whole region is huge on agriculture. This is one of the biggest ags, some of the best soil in the world. Last year, they finished in ninth place, and that was their first year up after being in the second and third divisions since all the way back in the 1990s. In fact, most of their existence, they have not been in the top flight, I don't believe. Uh, the best of Division One finish that they ever had, this was long before it was called the Super League, was back in the 1980s, and they finished in sixth place. This year, can they maintain their stay at the top? They might have to shore up their defense a little bit. They're a little bit above average in that regard, but not by much in the league. But their offense is excellent. They've got a top three in that regard, and they're scoring over two goals per match. Their goal differential, it is number three. So it looks like, admittedly very early on, that they've got a real shot at making a European competition. They've got top 10 score on their side with four goals on the season in Younes Belhanda. He is a French attacking midfielder who should know something about his opponents. He actually made early in his career almost 100 appearances for Galatasaray. Started his career with Montpellier over in France. But I believe the best or at least most valuable player that they have going currently is Badu Ndaye uh, from Senegal, their attacking midfielder. Yes, they get a lot of their value from very deep-lying positions. Now, he's only got one goal and two assists, but even though he's an attacking midfielder, but what a tackler. You cannot get a counterattack uh, going down the middle against this team. Uh, his tackle success rate, I believe, is well in the 60s. Just outstanding. His dribbling is even better. One of the best success rates I've ever seen. So while he not may not be getting the goals and assists, he is the man who is starting the attacks in so, so many instances. Uh, he's even made 20 national team attack, um, appearances for back home in Senegal. And just kind of a curiosity, he started his career with now the easily most powerful team in Norway in Bode Glimt. Team's current form, they've won two in a row and they're unbeaten in their last four. But now for a more traditional powerhouse, Galatasaray, they play out of Istanbul. Now, Galatasaray, I couldn't really find a quote-unquote uh, definition for it. But ultimately, uh, while the name comes from a high school that has to do with the founding of this club, ultimately the name comes from a Genoese Citadel's name that's still around today, I believe. They have won 22 league titles. That is the most in the nation's history. Last one was 2018-2019. So this team is very much the opposite in most every regard of Adana Demirspor. 1999-2000, uh, they won what is now the Europa League. 2012-13, they made the Champions League quarterfinals. Now, more usual and in recent years is for them to get as far as the group stage, then they usually finish in third, drop down to the Europa League, and then they bow out in about the round of 16. Last year was not their year. They're looking to make amends. They finished only in 13th. Ouch. Uh, this year, they're not scoring much over a goal per match so far, but their defense has been very strong, and I have a sneaking suspicion their offense will come along. After all, they do have uh, Bafé Timbi Gomez, French striker, 37-year-old veteran leading the way. Uh, he is tied for number three in league scoring with four goals already. Spent the heart of his career with Lyon, but I believe he played for a couple other uh, French League One teams eventually. He also spent some time with Premier League side Swansea City. 2008 through 13, he played for the national team, but he has long since retired uh, from that sort of play. And an interesting side note about him, he has a condition called 
reflex syncope, which causes him to oftentimes faint during matches. Basically, physiologically, his body feels stress, and then his uh, blood pressure drops massively and all at once. So ultimately, I'm not sure how truly harmful it is long term, but that's got to be really disconcerting, both in soccer matches and otherwise. Any idea what those kittens are saying, uh, P-Noob? They're saying something. But on the top of cats, their second birthday was last month. That's right. Happy birthday to the cats that you collectively call kitty noobs for some reason. Two years old. What are their names? Daniel and Smokey. Gotcha. And are either of the cats cool or are either of them kind of buttheads? Uh, Smokey is a mean butthead, and Daniel is really nice. <laughs> yes, Daniel is a bit more the social cats. But you and I think that mewing means more than anything. That what they want for their birthday is a recap of last week's matches. Shall I give it to them? Yeah. All right. Last Friday, match number one from the UE, uh, from the UEFA Nations League. Uh, number B in the table, uh, Germany took on number one, Hungary, in their group. And the result was a nil one win for Hungary. Surprise. They now lead Italy by two in their group. Germany dropped down to third and cannot win the group at this point. Match number B from the second division here in the United States, the USL Championship. We had number one in the East, Louisville City, taking on number B in Memphis, 9-0-1. And it was the visitors getting a mildly surprising win, one to two. They got the game winner in the 95th minute. No change to the table, but now we've got a real race going. Match number three from the New Zealand National League. Actually, the Central Division play before the NL proper starts up. Number one, Wellington Olympic, trying to win the title in the last match against number B, Miramar, and they did so. Wellington Olympic winning nil one. Good luck to both teams as the uh, main group stage for the National League down there goes on. That's a new format for them. Saturday, match number four from the NWSL, where the race is tight as can be. Number four, Houston Dash, played host to number three, O.L. Rain out of Seattle. And it was the Seattleans, Seattleites, I'm not even sure. They won nil two in any case, and they are now in the driver's seat for the number one seat for the playoffs. Match number five from the Canadian Premier League. We saw Atletico Ottawa on top of the table, and they went to number B, Cavalry, and they got a 1-3 win. Uh, for Cavalry, guy was had to look out for Jose Escalante had a goal. Monday, match number six from the Segunda Division, La Liga 2 in Spain. We had number B, Las Palmas, taking on number one, Granada, the home team held serve with a 2-0 win. That moves them up to number one. It's early in the season and a very tight race to prove that actually dropped Granada all the way down to number five. Match number seven from uh, MLS Next Pro, the third division here in the States. Uh, they were in their playoffs, uh, quarterfinal. Tacoma Defiance took on Houston Dynamo 2. They played to a 2-2 draw, and then it was Tacoma winning 5-4 and advancing on penalty kicks. Tuesday, match number eight from Major League Soccer, our feature match was number 10 Seattle taking on number 6 Cincinnati they played to a 1-1 draw for Cincinnati red hot Brenner De Silva had yet another goal uh, Seattle based on some other things actually move up to ninth place still not in the playoff picture quite Cincinnati's point took them up into fifth place Wednesday match number 9 from the UEFA Women's Champions League second qualifying round the 
second leg of the home and away two-legged ties. We had Hacken out of Sweden, Sweden playing host to PSG. Not surprising, not a lot of parity in the women's game necessarily. PSG is one of your new world powers, and they want nil two, and therefore they advance in the event to the group stage one to four on aggregate. And finally, match number 10 from Mexico second division, the Liga de Expansión, where they're in their opening or apertura stage. Number one, Celaya took on number B, Atlante. Celaya, they got the 2-1 win there at home after sleeping in their own bed. Celaya got their goals, though. They took a while to wake up, 83rd and 93rd minutes. And a possible man in the match we said to look for, Ricardo Marin. He had the first goal. No change in the table here. And then your bonus matches with explanations to come later. The route of the week was a Wednesday match from Costa Rica's Primera División, where they are also in the Apertura stage. Uh, number one in Group B of the two groups there, Saprisa, took on number six, last place from Group A, uh, Guanacasteca, and it was Saprisa winning 1-0, and one of the players that we said to look for, uh, Havon East, he had the lone goal. The most meaningless match in the world was a Sunday match from Mexico's women's top flight league, MX Femenil, and it was uh, number 14, Atletico de San Luis, taking on number 13, uh, Queretaro, and with San Luis getting a 1-0 win, that moves them up to 11, and actually into, well, no, closer to, but not into the playoff picture, they probably still won't make it, and uh, Queretaro, that drops them down into 14. And then finally, your match of Disappointed, Tuesday from the Welsh Premier League, number 11, Aberystwyth, took on number 12, Airbus UK, out of Broughton, and it was a Aberystwyth, wow, I can't believe I almost got that right each time I tried it, winning 2-1, to one, and that actually moves them up a spot, or two spots, to number 9, and out of the relegation zone, for the moment. And that concludes your recap of last week's matches, now let's get back into tracking the upcoming week's matches with... Match number 6. A little bit shorter trip for our final Saturday match as we head to the Premier League of Azerbaijan. It is ranked number 29 in the UEFA coefficients. That is down three from a year ago, so just in the bottom half. But that's one of the fun things about this show. We go everywhere. It doesn't have to be a great, big, strong league. Uh, they get one Champions League berth, and then their two teams that will go to the Europa Conference League, just like the last ones we covered, they will also start in the second qualifying round. Your matchup, number one, Karabag taking on number B, Nefchi Baku. Now it is Karabag that lead by eight on goal differential. Yes, as I mentioned before, these are teams that are tied in the table, albeit early on in the European season. Uh, the longstanding series between these two, Karabag have had the better of it as they've had against uh, most everyone in this league. Uh, 23, 12, and 12 is the record in recent years. Karabag, they are the 64th ranked club in all of UEFA. Considering the small, smaller country they're from, pretty darn good. Lend a little bit of overall geographic perspective that puts them right between PAOK Thessaloniki, which is one of the big three over in Greece, and Istanbul Bashak Shahir from in Turkey, where we just were. This team is known as the Horsemen, and I never know how to feel about crests like this. It's got uh, two horses, you know, uh, reared up on their back legs, and I'm sure a, a, a heraldic position that has some kind of fancy British name, but based on the way that they put them up against the soccer balls or crests in general, it looks like they're getting kind of frisky with it. Uh, again, I'm just not sure how I feel about that. Feels a little PG-13. Anyway, the team is originally from uh, the uh, city of Agdam in the east central part of the country, but that is just flat out a ghost town right now. Why? Well, it has been since 1993, 
And that is because of the Nagorno-Karabakh War that forced them to the capital city of uh, Baku back in the early 90s. I believe that's something they're fighting with uh, the Armenians. Uh, the name, interestingly, I think translates to Black Garden, which is, uh, unless that's referring to the soil, just kind of creepy and yet kind of cool at the same time. Footy-wise, they've won the league title nine different times. Eight of those were over the last nine years. Two seasons ago was the only time in the last decade that they didn't win it, and I believe they were runners-up. They are currently in the Europa League group stage after losing in the Champions League playoff round to Victoria Pilsen, a team we've talked about a couple of times in recent episodes from the Czech Republic. 2017-18, this team made the Champions League group stage, and they are one of only two Azerbaijani clubs to ever get that far. Uh, They haven't been to the knockout stage in the Champions League or anywhere else for that matter yet. This year, they are on fire, a perfect 6-0-0 with a 21-against-5 goal differential in their seven matches. They've got the number one goal differential by a factor of about two. Number one league scorer with six in the back of the net. There's to boast of is Ramil Shedayev, a native striker. Well, he's Russian-born, but he and he repped for uh, youth level for their national teams. But he's got lineage in Azerbaijan, close family there. He made a one-time switch with feet. Uh, FIFA to rep for them, and he's got almost 50 caps with that national team. And now Nefchi, their mascot, and literally I believe the translation of Nefchi is the oil workers, and they also play in the capital city of Baku. They too have won nine league titles, last one two seasons ago, the one that Karabag didn't win, 2020-2021. They lost in the third round of the Europa Conference League this year, uh, the best they've ever done overall internationally in the, well, the Champions League, they've gotten as far as the third round. 2012-13 in the Europa League, the secondary club tournament, they actually did get to the group stage. Last year in the league, they finished in second place. This year, as you would guess, they have the second best offense and defense going, scoring two goals per match and giving up less than one. On the scoring leaderboard with three goals for them right now is Ata. And I'm hoping I'm getting that right. It's A-T-A-A, Jabber, J-A-B-E-R. He's from Israel, defensive midfielder, or so I read, and yet there he is scoring some goals. And we have a slight USA connection. We have a player who officially is listed as an international representative for the USA. That is whom he is eligible for. He plays left fit midfielder, and he was born, I want to say, in Panama City, California, if memory serves. His family moved to Israel, though, when he was three years old. Uh, He's been a bit of a journeyman all over Europe. Uh, Best teams he's probably played for were over in Belgium, where he played for Anderlecht and uh, G-E-N-T. I can't remember if that's a hard or soft G or a Y. I think it's Yent. In any case, in 2017-18, he actually did make four appearances for the U.S. men's national team. Do you remember him? I did not. (laughs) So that's fun. Anyway, the team's current form, they have won four straight matches. Match number seven. No rest for the weary. We move onward to Sunday for a massive match here back in the States. Yeah, you get to sleep in your own bed if you choose. Uh, Sunday match number seven is from the gals side of things. The top flight here, the NWSL, where they have reached the end of the regular season. And there are three teams mathematically alive for the sixth and final playoff spot. Number seven, Chicago Red Stars are playing host to number eight, Angel City, trying to get to that last one. 
Here's how the table looks. Chicago currently uh, trail North Carolina Courage by two points and the table. Now, North Carolina have already played their last match. This is Chicago's last match. So win, get the three points. They're in the playoffs. Anything short of that, and their season is over. Now, Angel City trailed the Courage by three, but a win likely isn't going to be enough because of the tiebreaker system. One of the big ones is goals scored. That's going to be the next one up. And uh, they're behind by something like 23 goals. So the Courage would have to have an all-time record FIFA performance, more or less. Uh, Angel City did win earlier this season when they played 1-0. Will they be playing a lot of reserves, getting them some time, or will they be trying to play spoiler against Chicago? Hard to say. Looking forward to finding out. Let's take a look at the Red Stars first. Last year, they finished in fourth place, and they were your playoff runners-up in the first match, uh, professional match live that uh, yours truly, Noob, ever went to. That was a lot of fun going to Louisville City over to the uh, Lynn Family Stadium. 2015 was the best regular season that they have ever had. They finished in second place. Uh, This year, tied for fourth on offense, getting one and a half goals per match. Tied for five on defense. Number six goal differential. All those signs have pointed to them being the team that would just barely sneak into the playoffs all season long. We shall see if that comes true. They've got number five league score with 10 on the year in Mallory Pugh, one of my favorite players to watch. She's so athletic. She's made 80 national team uh, appearances already for the U.S. women, even though she is just 24 years old. So impressive. Uh, She's also tied for number one in the league on assists with six. So if Angel City can strike her down, that strike her down, boy, that sounded biblical. (laughs) Contain her. That would be a better way to put it. Shut her down. That would be, I'm not wishing any, I said I liked Mallory Pugh. I'm not wishing violence on her or something. My goodness. Now, if Chicago isn't able to get out of this game and into the playoffs, the reason might continue to be what has held them back of late, and that is the striker position. Uh, Ella Stevens, I believe, is the usual starter there. Yuki Nagasato started pretty recently for them, and they're just not getting any production out of the tip of the offensive spear for this particular team. Hence the reason that if they can shut Mallory Pugh down or strike her down, I suppose, if they really feel the need to go that far, sounds like a red card to me. Anyway, that could lead to victory for Angel City. Team's current form, they were kind of in the driver's seat, but they've lost two straight matches. And now Angel City, I've talked about them a couple of times, but I had never run into this little factoid before. Uh, In the roller derby community out west, there's a lot of anger over this name because one of the Biggest time of the roller derby teams in the country and mayhap the world carries the Angel City moniker. Uh, the Angel City Football Club ownership that includes the celebrities gave some thought to it and said, you know what? Yeah, we're going to use the name anyway. I don't think there's any been any legal wrangling over it, but I thought that'd be a fun side note. Uh, the offense is the reason that they have just not been able to get yeah, that they've not going to, they're not going to make the playoffs. But hey, you know what? It's their first year. They concentrated on defense a little bit more, apparently. And I think that will bode well for their future. They were in the bottom three, scoring just over a goal per match on offense, but the defense was top four. And uh, despite the fact that their overall offensive output wasn't that great, they do have one great uh, player to build on in that regard. They had a top 10 score in the league with seven goals in Savannah Muscat. Savannah McCaskill playing out of the midfield. Um, She is just absolutely impressive. I'm just, I'm going to put this delicately as I can. If you were to look at her, you would not guess that she is 
a, a midfielder. I think of somebody more sprightly and adept. And she looks more like she would be playing center back. So she's going to, I can't wait to catch this match and see her in action. Uh, she's even made a handful of national team appearances. Team's current form, they've been a little on the weak side down the stretch as well. 1-0-3. And they just had a really bad home loss to uh, Louisville, I believe, in their last match. 1-3. That effectively ended their playoff berth chase. Match number eight. This is our second and already final Sunday match. Much lighter than your Saturday. We're off to Asia to the Uzbek Super League, one that I feel like we've been covering on and off a fair bit lately, but a lot of that relates to our bonus matches as well as the teams at the top of the table. This time we're going to be looking at the ladder for a really juicy high-stakes match. Now, the Uzbek Super League is the number four ranked league in all of Asia. I remember when they first started popping up on my radar a little bit more a couple of months back, and I was surprised to see them ranked so highly. They get a team, uh, they're they get their champion, I should say, into the Champions League of Asia, and they get to start in the group stage. And then their second and third place finishers also get to go to the Champions League. They'll start in the qualifying rounds. They're about two-thirds of the way through the season, which is why things are getting so dramatic. Number two, Pak Takor tied on points with the table with their visitors today. Number one, NASAF, N-A-S-A-F. They collectively lead Nav Bahor by one point. This is a three-horse race. There's a big gap in the table after that. When the two played earlier this season, they played two, a scoreless draw at NASAF. We will talk about the cotton growers first out of Tashkent. Paktakor, that name actually means cotton growers, I believe. They are also known as the Lions, boo. But hey, at least I'm glad that they've got a great big uh, cotton seed on their crest. Historically, this is a great team. They were the only one that actually played in this region in the Soviet Union's top flight league. Since independence, they have won 14 league titles. 2003 and in 2004, they made the Champions League semifinals. This year, they went out of the group stage. Last year, they absolutely ran away and hid with this league title. They won by 13 points. So I'm not sure if they're happy to get a race this time or not. Uh, let's see. Tied for second in offense, they are with one. Oh, I kind of sounded like Yoda there with over one and a half goals per match. They've also got a top three defense, giving up less than one per match. So very well balanced. Uh, second best scorer in the league is theirs, Dragan Sharan, Serbian 34-year-old veteran. Best club he ever played for was something of a yo-yo club, I believe, over in Belgium called Westerlo. I believe they're in the second division currently. Team's current form, they have won two straight matches. And now Nasaf coming to town to challenge them. The Dragons, I love, love, love their crest. It is red and it is orange. It's kind of, di it's divided diagonally, which I'm still kind of mixed on, but I do enjoy that the uh, upper left-hand portion out of the center of that, out of that line is uh, a picture of a dragon, basically. And he is red and he is breathing orange fire, which matches the lower half of the crest, if you will. They play out of the city of Karshi, which is about half a million people strong in the southwest part of the country. Natural gas is the big thing there. Although they are famous, maybe you've had one in your house before, they're flat woven carpets. They're just a couple of hours from the uh, border with Afghanistan, just to give you an idea map-wise of where they are. Last year, they finished in fourth place. Uh, 2021, the number three team did not end up going for some reason to an AFC competition. And so Nassaf got to go to the Champions League instead, and they made it all the way to the round of 16. Hence the reason this league is on the up and up. 
they won the AFC Cup, the secondary tournament in Asia back in 2011, and were the runners-up last year. So another club on the rise, just like their league. 2001-2002, they finished in third place in the Asian Club Championship, sort of a forerunner to the uh, Champions League. This year in league, they've got the number one offense and tied for the number one defense. They've almost managed to limit their opponents to just a goal every other match on average. On the offensive side, tied for number three in league scoring is Hussein Norkeev or Norcheev. Not sure about that, but he's a midfielder and only 20 years old. I couldn't find any transfer rumors about him, but I've got to think that a guy that is that young and doing that well is on some European nations' radars or at the very least on some of the richer uh, Middle Eastern teams, uh, clubs, and maybe even in the Far East. I wouldn't be surprised to see him make a move after the season. Teams current form, they have won three straight and are unbeaten in the last eight. Even on the road, I think they are my favorite to win the league title. Match number nine. New Bites, that was one heck of a weekend of tracking that we've set you up for. So you get both Monday and Tuesday off a rare two-day break. But Wednesday, we're back in action. Match number nine from the UEFA Champions League. Before I get into this, by the way, just a little bit about the sausage, uh, how the sausage is made. There were 15 matches that I desperately wanted to cover for the main portion of the show. That doesn't include a lot of other ones that were like number one versus number B matchups from leagues where the teams weren't tied, but it was very, very close. Places like Denmark, you can Google up some of those on your own if you choose. Also, in uh, Europe, not only is the Champions League going on, but their secondary tournament, the Europa League, and their tertiary tournament, the Europa Conference League. Google those up on your machines for some fine matches as well. We're just going to give you a Champions League one this time because we only do 10 for the main portion of the show. They are two matches into the group stage or event proper. The All the teams that are left alive have been divided into groups of four. They'll play a double round robin, home and away. The top two will advance to the knockout stage. The most intriguing looking matchup to me looked like Salzburg out of Austria, the big power there versus Croatia's uh, Dinamo Zagreb. Here's how the table looks just after admittedly a couple of games. Uh, Milan, they've got four points. Uh, Dinamo Zagreb in second place with three. Salzburg have two. And Chelsea that could rise back up at any time, obviously. They have one. I think this is going to remain the most intriguing and just the most entertaining of all the groups left alive in the Champions League. As far as the series between these two, they've actually played a few times. Uh, I believe Salzburg have had the best of it with a 2-1-1 record. You can catch this iteration, 2.45 in the afternoon, Eastern Time U.S. on Paramount+. Plus. But this is the time of podcast for our newer listeners, so you know that we always take what we call a culture break. We don't just like to learn about soccer. We use soccer as an excuse to learn about all sorts of things about the world. And yes, most of the time that means food, but I don't have a recipe for you this time. Simply something I discovered about Austria that I hadn't heard of before. I'm going to probably badly mispronounce it in uh, the German-Austrian. It is called uh, Humilch. Humilch. H-E-U-M-I-L-C-H. I'm going to presume that it's a hard C-H, and I'm going to pronounce it uh, the English way from this point forward. Haymilch. Now, that may not sound very good. It might sound pretty rough and coarse, but it's just the opposite. Uh, Because of the way that this is uh, produced, it has a very refined flavor. The taste isn't substantially different as a flavor. It's just much better, has a fresher feel, better texture. And that is because the cows are exclusively more or less fed 
on uh, hay and other meadow fodder. There's never potatoes involved, urea. Uh, sometimes you'll even find in some areas sewage sludge get used to uh, feed cows. Absolutely can't happen with these particular ones, and that's how you get the high-quality milk. In fact, by law, to carry this definition, the cows can only have had their diet made up of 25% anything else besides hay or other natural fauna in the meadows where they're being raised. So they can have some beets, green rapeseed, green maize, rye, to, and still get to carry this designation, but not very much. One of the great health benefits to this type of milk, by the way, is that it is incredibly high in omega fatty acids, which of course the human body doesn't naturally produce. And because it is such a high quality milk and those fatty acids are in there, this is an excellent milk. If you've had really high quality, smooth, long matured, hard cheese, there's a reasonable chance that it is made out of hay milk because the more quality the milk, the longer that you can use it to mature without the cheese uh, going bad. So the next time that you're at the store, maybe your Whole Foods or something, you might have some luck trying hay milk. And match number 10, we're done. Finally! And we've saved our Major League Soccer feature match for the very last. It is a Wednesday match as well, and it features number 7 Inter-Miami playing host to number 6 Orlando, the Florida Derby, as they try to both hang on to the very last playoff berths in the Western Conference here near the very end of the season. I believe most of the clubs only have about two matches left. Orlando currently lead Inter-Miami by four on goal differential, so they're tied on points, and then Columbus Crew are just three points back. Lurk, lurk, lurk. Uh, Orlando, by the way, have a match in hand, so even though they're on the road for this one, in that sense, they are in the driver's seat. And they were in the driver's seat with the two played in Orlando earlier this season as Orlando won 1-0 in their recent series. Inter-Miami's a fairly young team. Orlando have had the slight advantage accruing a 4-3-2 record. You can catch this one on ESPN Plus, 8 o'clock Eastern time here in the U.S. First, the Herons of Inter-Miami. I'm so glad they're the Herons because they look a lot like flamingos. I don't know if herons do this, but flamingos, uh, they tend to urinate on themselves. They're beautiful, but that makes them the filthiest animal I've ever heard of. Anyway, 2020, they finished in 10th place, made the playoffs, and fell out in the preliminary round. So they sort of made the playoffs, but sort of didn't. Last year, they finished in 11th place, their second season, and did not make the playoffs at all. This year, it is stunning that they are even in the playoff mix, let alone in there at a berth position right now, because they've only had the 10th best offense, scoring barely over one and a quarter goals per match. The defense has been even weaker. <laughs> Collectively, that's meant they only have the 12th best goal differential. That's bottom three in the league. How have they done it? Well, <laughs> they play for keeps. They've only had six draws on the season, so they've had uh, more losses than just about anybody else, but they've had a lot more wins than a lot of teams around them in the table. Best player that they've had going on the year, most valuable in my opinion, Alejandro Pozuelo, their Spanish attacking midfielder. Six goals, six assists on the season. He offers absolutely nothing defensively, but all of his offensive stats are very good. Particularly impressive is his shot accuracy. If he lets fly, there's a really good chance somebody's making a save. He's got 70% shot accuracy, which might be the highest I've seen on any team all year long, not just in Major League Soccer, but anywhere in the world that I've been noticing. Uh, most The most appearances he's ever had, he was with Yank, one of the pretty okay teams over in Belgium. 
red hot for them. One of their designated players, though, getting peaking at the right time, probably. Gonzalo Higain, Argentinian center forward, 37 years old. Not sure he took Major League Soccer quite seriously enough in his first season in Florida, but now that he understands that it's... Uh, might not be steak, but hamburger can be pretty tight, and that's Major League Soccer for you. Top 10 or maybe 15 league in the world, and he's really turned it on. In fact, of late, he's been on fire, scored in his last three straight matches, spent the heart of his career with Real Madrid, and that that in and of itself tells you all you need to know about his European pedigree, although he's played for some other pretty big teams as well. He has gotten 14 goals on the season, three assists to top those off as well. The team's formal. They've won three straight, and boy, just in time, because that followed on the heels of a three-match losing streak. And you know what? I was polite earlier in referring to this as the Florida Derby. We're going to rename it. This is the Swamp City Derby, and if there's one thing that we do not like here at Team Noob, it is the bad urban planning that is building cities on swamps. Climate change or not, these two cities are going to sink into the ocean eventually, just get swallowed up by the swampland. Whatever's going to happen will happen. It will not be good. I'm only starting to bring this up now and get riled up because we dislike Orlando even more. I'm really rooting for Columbus to make the playoffs, to be perfectly honest, because Orlando City are known as the Lions. New listeners, you heard me boo the Lions mascot earlier for a different team. Now, the reason being, every third team in the world is named the Lions. Let's do something more original. Problem number two, my goodness, Florida. So much in the animal kingdom to choose from. Be the manatees. Uh, recycle the dolphins. Be the mice or the mice men in honor of Disney World. The uh, uh, trapped dolphins or you know, orcas or whatever they have there. Whatever you want to do. The Lions, absolutely just the worst. And then on top of that, their mascot lion is really, really bulked up, and that's fine. But he's also got dreadlocks. Now, my understanding is, is the way you get dreadlocks is effectively by not washing uh, the hair or not doing so with great regularity. And that's how it gets to the texture and shape that you get it to. Have you ever known a member of the fiend lion animal community that wasn't insanely obsessed with washing itself. It's just layered in insanity. We will never root for Orlando, which is why we were disappointed when they won this year's FA Cup. But I suppose congratulations to them on winning it. Last year, they finished in sixth place, went out of the playoffs in the first round. The year before, and I think this was the first time they'd ever been to the playoffs, they finished in sixth place. And I want to say they got as far as the quarterfinals this year. Uh, kind of like Miami, it's a bit of a miracle how they've even managed to stay in the playoff race. Uh, their offense is woeful. They're not even getting quite one and a third goals per match. Now, the defense is ranked number five in the East, but the East is the weaker conference of the two. They're giving up one and a half goals per match. That's not the worst of all time, but that's not great. Tied overall. For ninth place on goal differential. Best player that they have going probably is Facundo Torres from Uruguay. Their left winger, 22 years old is all. Be interesting to see uh, what kind of offers Orlando starts to get from him in the offseason from European League clubs. He's got eight goals and seven assists on the year, and he does not shy away from physicality. He's got a 70% tackle rate. I talked about tackle rate success rate earlier in the show. And again, this is one of the highest I've ever seen. And the kid's only 22 years old. That might be that, that might not be the type of style that everybody wants from somebody playing on the wing instead of on the middle 
uh, because I don't think that's where counterattacks really get stopped. But that will fit enough teams' styles over in Europe that somebody's going to pop out an uh, 8 to $12 million offer for this kid. Team's current form, they are 1-0-3 in their last four. Bring forth the bonus matches! Uh, yes, perhaps our favorite part of the show, in large part because you, the listener, have had the opportunity to help decide what the content was going to be. How is that the case? Well, you can get in contact with us and vote in our polls for these matches on Twitter. My handle is Soccer Noob USA. You can also get messages to Person Noob there. She would love to hear from you on anything soccer-related or probably even more not soccer-related. The first of our three unique bonus matches is a first versus last place matchup that we dramatically call the Route, 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 route of, 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 of the week, 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 week. And you have voted in a Saturday match. This got more votes, this poll, than uh, just about any other one we've done. In fact, uh, the losing match from Thailand got more votes than any other losing match before. Your selection. We're back to the NWSL once again for the route of the week. We're last place by far. Number 12, New Jersey, New York, Gotham FC play host to number one, Portland. Portland won in Oregon when they played earlier this season 5-0. Series between these two teams, including back to when they were sky blue in recent years, Portland have had the better of it, a 9-5-3 and record. You can catch this one on Paramount Plus 6 p.m. if you want to see the bad, bad things that are likely to happen to Gotham. They are known as the Goths. Best year they ever had was in 2009. Uh, They finished in fourth place, and they were the playoff winners. Yeah, I had forgotten that they actually had a title. Last year, they finished in fifth place, but fell out of the playoffs in the first round. This year, um, the reason that they're so far in last is not only are they not winning many games, I think they don't have the fewest, but they've only managed just one draw. When they get beaten, they really get thumped. They got the worst offense in the league. They're the only team that wasn't managing to score a goal per match average. And then they had the worst defense as well, giving up over two goals per match. Uh, the best player that they've had going, she's really going to have to have uh, a night to uh, give Gotham any kind of chance. Uh, Christy Mewis, attacking midfielder, two goals, three assists on the air. Her best stat might be her tackle rate. This seems to be the tackle rate episode. Team's current form, yikes. They have lost 12 straight matches. Portland coming to town to take advantage of that. See a little of the sights. uh, Probably get something like a nil four win, in my opinion. They have won the title twice in uh, NWSL, most recently 2017. Last year, they won the regular season, the Supporters' Shield, but then uh, they were just the playoff runners-up. Now, uh, their offense, they're scoring over two goals per match. They have a top three defense to go along with that and the number one goal differential in the league by over a factor of two. It's really stunning to me that they might not finish the regular season in first place. It's going to be their Cascadian rivals uh, basically uh, 
I don't call them Seattle anymore, but O.L. Rain are probably going to get it. Uh, key players to look for. We've been talking about them all season long, and they are still the best of the best. Tied for second best in lead scoring is Sophia Smith. She is a forward for the women's national team. Tied for number three in league assists, coming on strong in the second half of the season. She's got five. Yasmin Ryan. Uh, she has not made any senior team appearances, but she's been uh, doing some business with the under-23 women's national team. Plays in the midfield. And the number one goalkeeper in the league, at least in terms of clean sheets, uh, she's done some a U23 team, never played for the women's uh, senior national team. And she's 26 years old now. You wonder when she'll get her shot. That is Bella Bixby. Team's current form, they are 3-1-0 in their last four with a most impressive 9-1 goal differential. Could you be the most meaningless match in the world? Yes, you could. You're so boring. Celebrated in song, two clubs that are smack dab in the middle, more or less, of their table. At the very least, they are perfectly equidistant from the glory of the top of the table in international berths and the bottom of the table and likely relegation to some other league, maybe never to be heard from again on a show like ours or any other show. Yes, the most meaningless match of the world. It can come out of a league that is big, important, and strong, or a smaller one like this one. It only matters where the teams are in the table. And we're going to look at a Monday match from the Premier League of Belize, where they are in their opening stage. Just like most of the Central American countries, they divide their season into two kind of separate season, opening and closing stages. Normally in Central America, they are called Apatura y Clausura. But of course, Belize, former British Honduras, you get a lot more English speaking over there, opening and closing. The league only has eight teams, and so each stage they play a double round robin. And by the way, uh, while I'm not sure that CONCACAF ranks all the leagues, a lot of them don't even get enough international play that it's reasonable to do so. Of the 24 teams in our region or leagues in our region, that the clubs have had enough international play to rate them in any way, shape, or form. A site that we like called Kick Algorithms rates them as number 20 of those 24. They're uh, easily uh, the weakest of the Central American countries, to be perfectly honest. Uh, in the past, they've only just been sending their champion to the CONCACAF League, which is a feeder tournament to our big one, the CONCACAF Champions League. However, the top four teams do make the playoffs, so that makes this a bit of a quirky matchup in that these two teams are battling for a playoff spot, but they're not going to get a sniff of the CONCACAF League. They're just over halfway through the stage, by the way. Your matchup, number five, Wagia, W-A-G-I-Y-A, ticking on number four, and I am more uh, confident in my pronunciation, Progresso. Progresso currently lead Wagia by one, and they trail number one, Verdes, by seven points. Wagia, in turn, they lead last place number eight, Bandits, by six. When they played earlier this season, it was, I believe, Progresso getting a nil-one win. Or no, I'm sorry, Wagia got a nil-one win on the road. In any case, let's talk about them first. Uh, Wagia, I was not able to find anything I was confident in in terms of what that word means. It's not the town they play in. Closest thing I could find on the interwebs was that there is a Nakota word that says it means Thunderbird. Now, that would make a pretty cool mascot, but uh, the Nakota uh, native peoples are from Canada. So that would be a bit of a stretch for Belize, but who knows? Anyway, they play in the city of Dongriga, which uh, was formerly known as Stan, with two ends, Stan Creek Town, before it went back to a more uh, localized uh, naming. Uh, 
as the native culture in this area comes back, uh, that's why the name changed and it means standing waters. Uh, it's on the east central coast of the country, has maybe 10,000 people. This is considered the cultural capital of the country, largely because of the uh, what used to be known as Black Carib, or now Garifuna culture, and its uh, influence on what's known as Punta music specifically. As far as the footy, the last stage or uh, sub-season that got completed was the 2021-22 closing stage. They finished in last place of the six clubs that were participating last year. This year, uh, the offense... They've got the number three offense, but it's really a defensively oriented league. They only get a goal and a quarter per match. Uh, the defense is uh, uh, kind of near the bottom, certainly in the lower half at the very least. Uh, 1.5 goals per match is what they give up. Best player they've probably got going is number five league leading scorer, Sion Augustin. Team's current form, they lost two straight and are winless in their last five, including a really bad loss at home, uh, two to four to last place Bandits. And now Progresso. They are known from a town called Orange Walk or Orange Walk Town. Not sure what the official name is. I kind of saw it both ways. It's in the northern part of the country, not on the coast. Uh, It's the fourth biggest town in the country. The overall metro, quote unquote, is about 25,000 people. I mentioned that uh, this country was, of course, British Honduras previously, but they do have a lot of Spanish-speaking citizenry, of course, and this particular town is nearly all mestizos, which is uh, Mexican, I believe, or uh, people of Spanish ancestry who have uh, mixed lineages uh, with people from the African or uh, Afro-Caribbean culture. This area is the sugarcane capital of the country. As such, as a secondary production aspect, they produce a lot of rum, but the sugarcane itself is the really big deal. They were not in the league last year. I think that they've been in the league previously. They might have been on hiatus because of COVID. And they are truly average or meaningless this year. Check out this stat line on the year for the table. They are 3-3-3 three, three, and three with a 9-9 nine and nine goal differential. Tied for number three in league scoring, they've got Zamir Bonilla trying to lift them, lift them above that very average line. Team's current form, they've earned three straight draws. So they went from 3-0-3 to 3-3-3. That's just kind of funny. A uh, couple of those draws were really interesting because they got a 1-1 draw at number one Verdes, which is the perennial powerhouse in this league. That's a good point to get. But then they immediately turned around and hosted Bandits at home and fell asleep on defense and only managed to draw there 2-2. Two to two. And now at last we reach the true end of our podcast road, appropriately match number 13, and also perhaps appropriately you selected a Monday match for the most disappointing match of all. Yep, you guessed it. This is the match of... Disappointed! And I think Kevin Sorbo and all his scorn would approve of your selection. We're headed back to England and the Premier League. Now, you might remember I said earlier we only do one main match per league per episode. But hey, if you vote for one from a league and it's a duplicate, that's just fine. Three teams from England are going to get relegated. And your two most likely candidates for that so far are number 20 and surprising last place, Leicester City. They won the league only just a few years ago. And they're playing host to number 19, 
Nottingham Forest that just came up from the second division, the English Championship. Here's how the table looks way down there, if you can look down the shaft into that hellscape. Nottingham Forest, they lead Leicester by three, and they trail Wolverhampton and Crystal Palace by two. You can witness this atrocity if you are brave enough on USA 3 p.m. Eastern Time here in the USA. We'll talk about the host first, the Foxes of Leicester City. Last year, they didn't miss out on a European berth by too much. They finished in eighth place in the table. This year, have yet to find their form in any capacity. They have yet to win a match. Uh, the offense, uh, pretty bad. They're tied for ninth in that regard. Well, average, I guess I should say. They're scoring almost one and a half per match. You can build on that. But the defense, my goodness, woof. They're giving up over three goals per match. I don't care if they've been playing no one but the top six. Seems like Bournemouth uh, did a bunch of that and got their butts kicked early on too. But you cannot give up those kind of goals, even for just a handful of straight matches the way they have. They're only seven or eight matches into the season. Amazingly, they don't have the worst goal differential that does belong to our beloved series of AOC Bournemouth. For Leicester, they are only in second to last place in that regard. Uh, the best, or you know what, no, let's call it what it is. The least awful player they've had on the year has been Yuri uh, T. Elements from Belgium, central midfielder. He's got a goal and an assist. Uh, 88% pass accuracy. You expect that from your central midfielder, and he is producing. Spent his first four years uh, with the Belgian team Anderlecht, and even though that's not one of the super-duper powers over there, I'll bet he's wishing he was back in Belgium now. Their worst player by far, as is so often the case when we're talking about matchup disappointed teams, is their goalkeeper. After all, they're giving up three plus. Danny Ward out of Wales. He has yet to keep a clean sheet. Uh, he's made 21 saves, credit where it's due, but that defense is just giving up too many shots. I suppose his back line might collectively have been worse than him, but sorry, you're still the guy that's getting the treatment. He came up with Liverpool in his youth and he even made a couple appearances in 2016, but uh, apparently they realized he wasn't up to their quality or perhaps any quality. Who knows? Spent his longest stint with Huddersfield Town, a team that was in the Premier League until a couple, three years ago. They're down in the championship now, and I don't think doing particularly well even there this season. Uh, teams scoring from, well, they've lost four straight. No real surprise there. Their last two, admittedly, were road matches, but you just can't do this. They've lost by a 4-11 to 11 margin. Uh, Nottingham Forest coming to town looking to try to take advantage. Uh, they play out of a town called West Bridgeport of about 50,000. It is immediately to the south and I believe across a river uh, from Nottingham proper, a, t a town name I'm sure you're more familiar with. So West Bridgeport's basically a big commuter town for them. Uh, they are known as the Tricky Trees, one of their many nicknames, and that's easily my favorite one. You can go all the way back to 1977-78 to find the last time they had some top-flight success. They won Division I, wasn't called the Premier League back then. They even won what is now the Champions League in 1979 and 1980. So a lot of people are really happy, even if they're not specifically fans of this team. They see it as kind of a return to form and normalcy that Nottingham Forest are back for the first time in so long. And I think people are really rooting for them to stay up. Well, we're not specifically rooting for them until they can climb out of the match at disappointed status. Uh, they're tied for 16th on offense in the league. They're not getting even a goal per match. Their defense, even worse, giving up two and a half. Goal differential is third worst in the league. 
The best player that they have going is Lewis O'Brien, central midfielder, 23 years old. This seems to be the case with a lot of these really, really bad teams that we talk about at the end of the shows. The worst player is always the goalkeeper, and the best player is always the central midfielder. Just sort of interesting. Uh, he's got a, one goal on the season. Uh, he's a plenty good dribbler, good tackler. Uh, his passing, to be perfectly honest, is only kind of so-so. Uh, for the position makes me think that maybe he's a bit more defensively oriented overall. The worst player that they have going is on the defensive side, but not their goalkeeper. Worst rated is Scotsman Scott McKenna. Plays center back for them. Uh, perhaps it's for the best. We don't wish injury on anybody, but he is out with a knee injury, so you won't have to witness for yourself just how bad he truly is. He will be back later this month, though, if you want to try to uh, watch him stumble around the field and play awful defense. He's got a lot of clearances, but very few interceptions, just nothing going on for speed here. Doesn't read things very well, it sounds like. And he doesn't make a lot of tackles either, so a bit of a one-trick pony, it seems like, on the defensive side. Team form, they have lost four straight, and that includes back-to-back -back losses by the same score of two to three. And this is at the time in most podcasts where they might wish all the teams that they've been talking about good luck, including their final ones. We will do that for all but these last two. Instead, for them, Leicester City, Nottingham Forest, we shoo you away in our traditional fashion. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Get him away. Hey, boo. Boo. Waldorf, Statler, thanks for driving us out of here. This has been episode 103 of Soccer Noob Rock in America featuring Person Noob. I'd like to thank, as always, the management for all of his editing and production wizardry. Dan, the internal inferno for all of his creative efforts and inspirations to my daughter. Person Noob, of course, love you so much. I always have fun doing the show with you. Got a little crazy there for match number B, but that's okay. This is your show too. And thank you so much to you for listening. We hope that you've had a lot of fun, learned plenty. We've been described as a nice change of pace podcast from a lot of other really great, admittedly, stuff that's out there. So listen to a lot of them. Don't give up anything you love. But thank you for adding us on if you would. And don't forget to mention us to your footy-minded friends. Until we do it again in a few weeks, goodbye from Sodor and have yourselves a fabulous footy week. Take care.